Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 12, 2017. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 10th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10656. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10658. This morning, A Vision for You presents, We Let God Discipline Us. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. We submit to a simple process that is not easy. We do lots of work. This demonstrates our willingness to have our willfulness set aside. But it is grace that does the setting aside, the change, the conversion, the transformation. We have been taken out of the world of self. We have entered the world of the spirit. We allow the spirit to lead us. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will, not our will, into all our activities. Joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope with this 12-step process is Allison L., a recovered compulsive overeater from Ohio. Allison is dedicated to trudging this path of recovery and is eager to speak and share her testimony with us this morning. Welcome to the line, Allison. Thank you, Leah, for your service and that beautiful introduction. Am I coming through clearly? Very nicely. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to share this morning. And I do just want to pause a moment uh, to center in this space here with you all and with God. Good morning, everyone. I'm Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Welcome to the line this morning. The title for my share today, We Let God Discipline Us, is from page 88 in the big book. Um, The two lines uh, around it read, we alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. So as a compulsive overeater, I was very undisciplined, so I tried to live by self-discipline, which always failed me. Um, And by self-discipline, I'm talking about uh, me wanting to control my feelings, me trying to overcome my weaknesses, and me trying to pursue what I thought was right despite temptation, all about me and what I could do of my own willpower. The way God has disciplined me through working the steps as outlined in the big book is that I have learned a skill set that allows me to stay unblocked from God and rely on his will instead of my own, to rely on his power, his love, and his way of life. I also want to point out that the line read, Um, In the simple way we have outlined, this is key for me because I tend to overcomplicate things. Um, I overcomplicate them to the point that I say it's too hard, it's not possible, I can't do it. Um, Because that's easier for me than to just admit the truth, which is I don't want to do it. So to recover, I had to stop overcomplicating the instructions. Now I'll qualify by giving some examples from what my life used to be like. My weight has ranged from 140 pounds up to 220 pounds, and it's moved up and down within that range over and over and over again. I was always in the process of losing weight or gaining weight. I never 
maintained a steady weight for any length of time before program. I have been in OA for four years, and I have been recovered for a little over one year. I have been a compulsive overeater for as long as I can remember. One memory from elementary school that I have is of overeating to the point of being in a lot of pain. I cried and whined and writhed in pain until uh, I convinced my dad to take me to the doctor. And the doctor told us that what I had was a bellyache from eating too much junk food. The doctor explained to us that I should only be allowed to have junk foods in moderation. Now, in elementary school, my takeaway from that experience and what the doctor said was that being in pain from what I ate was just going to be a part of my life and that I would not be able to complain to anyone about it anymore. I was going to have to keep that to myself. So I knew in elementary school that I would continue to overeat. I didn't know it then, but I can look back now on this experience and see that I was getting an effect from the food and that for me, the effect I got from the food outweighed the consequences of gas, bloating, diarrhea, nausea, being unable to move from being so stuffed, being teased and called fat. Um, this is explained perfectly in the doctor's opinion on page XXVIII, where it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. So this began for me at an early age and continued to be the theme throughout my life. I continued to eat because I liked the effect it produced. Even when it was injurious, I could not stop. In my home growing up, there was not much talk of religion or spirituality. My mother and grandmother did take me to church a handful of times, and my grandmother taught me a simple child's prayer but that was the extent of my introduction to God. Through my life, I would occasionally pray when I was scared or wanted a desired outcome. My dad drank heavily. He quit jobs frequently, and I had to learn to walk on eggshells because I was unsure what would set him off. In high school and college, I had a job, one of many jobs I had, was working at an arcade and it was inside of a malt food court. This was, uh, I thought, the perfect job for me. Um, there were prize bins for people who cashed in their tickets and these bins were stocked with candy. The food court was easy access and the private office had a single stall bathroom, which was perfect for throwing up everything I had eaten throughout my work shift. I had learned how to do this, this new self-discipline, from watching a Lifetime movie and it seemed a great solution for me. I felt as if I was living with a gaping hole inside of myself. At times, the food seemed to fill it, but I needed more. I desperately wanted other people to love me and to fill that hole. I found that keeping my weight down helped me get the attention I was seeking. And the job at the arcade uh, also happened to be a great place to meet men and to get attention. I shouldn't say men. They were <laughs> teenage boys at that time. When I was in a relationship and feeling loved, the food was there to amplify those good feelings. And when the relationship failed, or relationships, depending on how many I was in at the time, when they failed to fill the hole enough, food was there to compensate for those other humans' deficiencies. Trying to fill this hole inside of me with food and affection um, was a lot like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with a scoop of sand. It just was never enough. I always needed more. I believed that one day 
I would have the right job, the right husband, live in the right town, in the right home, and drive the right car, and then I would stop binging and purging. I believed I could stop when I wanted to. My weight fluctuated up and down about 20 to 30 pounds several times in high school and college. I used many diets in addition to my bulimia. I tried to reserve the bulimia for when I had really uncontrolled binges. I started many seven-day diets and never once made it to day four. I did commercial diet programs. I used diet uh, pop to, we call it pop in Ohio. <laughs> I used diet pop to suppress my appetite. I counted calories and fat grams and tried any other diet that I came across or that anyone suggested. After I graduated from college, I was accepted into law school, which seemed a great idea. But instead, I chose to get married to a man I had been dating for 10 months. I got a good job, moved to a big, bigger, better city, and thought, now I can be begin my life. I felt, like Bill says in his story, I had arrived. My delusion that I would feel whole when these criteria were met fell apart within months. I found that my weight gain cycle was now at around 30 to 40 pounds, up and down, up and down, and it was increasingly difficult to go down. The methods I had been using before no longer worked as well. Diet pop no longer adequately could suppress my desire to eat large quantities of food. I couldn't stick to counting points or calories for longer than a week. I still had to rely on purging after periods of uncontrolled eating, and worst of all, a friend called me out on my eating disorder. No one up until that point had ever questioned or identified me as having any problems. It was kind of a relief, and it was kind of terrifying, like I couldn't lie to myself if someone else knew. And this is the same friend that mentioned OA to me in year, years later. I believe God strategically placed her in my life to get me where he wanted me to go. Also during this time, my relationships were all falling apart. My mother, my father, my brother, my grandmother, cousins, everyone in my family, they were all scared of me. It was always anything that happened, oh, don't tell Allison. No one wanted to tell me anything because I had an answer. I was trying to tell them how they should live. Uh, like Vanilla Ice says, you know, if there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. I would fix all their problems, but they didn't want or ask for my opinions or my suggestions, um, but I really like to give suggestions, especially to my mom, about how she could lose weight. I had to play the part of the one who had it all together. Otherwise, I thought they and I would all fall apart. So after four years of my emotional instability in my marriage, things with my husband were not going well. I tried my go-to fixes. We moved, I got a new, better job, and I used diet pills to lose weight. But none of these mattered because I was still the same and he decided to end our marriage. Page 30 in the big book describes what was occurring in me. It says, we are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And oh boy, I was getting much, much worse. I was 25 years old, divorced, depressed, angry, unhappy. I was full of fear that I would never feel better, never be a mother. I certainly was not useful to anyone else or capable of being real help to anyone else. Uh, all the ways I was feeling are described in the big book on page 52, and they're called the bedevilments. I knew I needed help. Uh, I didn't know about OA yet, so I sought counseling. 
some of the pain eased and I stopped purging. I replaced it um, with coping, other coping techniques um, and exercise to help balance out my binging and this seemed to be a more acceptable solution. Uh, my therapist was great, um, but she could not bring about a spiritual awakening within me, which is what I needed as a real compulsive overeater in order to recover from this illness. So in 2007, I attended a party and I was really upset at the party because there wasn't much food there. I mean, not enough for me anyways. And since there wasn't much food, I seemed I would just I would just go ahead and drink. So after two bottles of wine, I drove myself home and once home, I felt an extreme loneliness and depression and hopelessness that I had um, always been able to suppress before. But at this time, I just, I could not. So I took a large handful of pills and I swallowed them. I woke up the next morning in the hospital. A concerned friend had called to have me checked on and they had transported me from my home. When I woke up in the hospital, my dad was sitting next to me and I was really foggy, so he coached me on what to say so that I could go home instead of having to talk to anyone else or get any help. And then once I got home, my family attempted to have an intervention with me and determine what was going on, why this had happened. And I couldn't have that, so I plastered a fake mask of my self-control back on, and I insisted it was just a bad night. I drank too much and that I was going to my therapist and I was just fine. And the next two years after that was more gaining and losing of weight, dieting, exercising, and groping at anything I could to try filling this hole inside of me. In 2009, at the age of 28, I got married to my current husband. Um, I began seeking a relationship with God and attending church. As I was seeking God, I felt him directing me to begin eating a plant-based diet. And this was different than any... Um, desire I'd ever had before. I didn't want to do this as a form of control or weight loss. I truly just had this deep desire to no longer eat animal products. I easily gave up foods that I had eaten for so many years. I began to read all I could about nutrition and the food industry. It became clear that I needed to limit sugar and flour. The only problem was that once I would eat sugar in any form, I couldn't stop eating it. I didn't know what it was called then, but now I can see that this was the manifestation of an allergy described in the doctor's opinion. I'll uh, reference a different paragraph from page XXVIII, and it reads, We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy and that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So I can look back on my experience of when I was trying to limit my sugar intake and see that I had an abnormal reaction to foods that contained sugar. Anytime I would eat them, I would be unable to stop or moderate no matter how much I wanted to. And I would think about getting more incessantly. And I'll also reference um, something from page XXIX from the doctor's opinion. It says, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. So now I had decided to swear off certain foods. I found that I was unable to. I would always succumb to the desire again, 
And once I ingested my binge ingredients or foods, I could not control how much I would eat. And this was before OA, so I didn't know there was a solution. I continued fighting with my own methods of self-discipline. I kept trying to obtain more information, hoping that self-knowledge would be the answer. So a year after I had gotten married to my current husband, I was pregnant with our first child. And I made sure to eat very healthy during my pregnancy, but I would occasionally also eat very unhealthy foods, bags of candy, trays of cinnamon rolls, not because I wanted to, I didn't want to. Um, I, I did it because I not only have this allergy that keeps me from stopping once I start, but I also have this obsession of my mind that even if I do abstain from those foods, ingredients, and behaviors that cause my abnormal reaction, I still have this mind that tells me to try eating them in moderation again, that this time it'll be different, that I must eat them to calm down these emotions that I can't handle on my own. And because without eating them, I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. So the cycle continued. I try to abstain, but I'm miserable, so I succumb again, and then I can't stop. So during my pregnancy, I gained 60 pounds, and I was shocked that when I got home uh, after having my baby, I had only lost 10 pounds. I get home with my baby, and I look in his eyes, and I thought, well, it's going to be so easy now to eat these healthy foods in moderation. It's going to be no problem. I have this baby as my motivation. I love him so much. And within days, I was back to my cycle of binging and trying to restrict. And then when this baby was 10 months old, I became pregnant with our second child. I was determined not to gain as much weight this time, especially since I still hadn't lost what I had gained with the first pregnancy, and I still gained around 50 pounds with my second pregnancy. And having two babies under two was kind of crazy. It's a blur of eating and trying to sleep, honestly. Um, since I had my first baby, I quit work and I was a stay-at-home mom. I was pretty isolated, which was fine with me at the time. I just wanted to stay home eating and being with my babies. Um, what scared me was that I couldn't control my emotional nature. I would get angry over little things. I would throw things in a rage. My husband, on two separate occasions, had to patch holes that I had put into walls, and I also kicked a hole into a bookshelf. I had a very deep, dark fear that I would accidentally hurt one of my babies. I went to a doctor and asked for some medical testing to try to determine what was wrong with me. Why was I so emotional, so drained, so unable to do anything productive other than care for my baby's basic needs? And all the testing came back normal. The doctor told me, it's just a stage of life you're in. So in an effort to lose all the weight I had gained during my pregnancies and try to regain some self-control, I began running. I trained for and ran a half marathon in 2013, and after the race, I really wanted to stop running so many miles, but I realized that I was binging on so many calories that I needed to run to balance it out, and I felt trapped. The diets and methods of controlling I had used in the past no longer worked. I could not stick to a plan for more than one or two days. I was tired of the crazy thoughts and behaviors I had all my life like hoping I would get the flu or a stomach virus so I wouldn't eat for a couple of days. I, would, I was tired of eating things I didn't want to eat, trying to replace things I had eaten before my husband got home and noticed. I was tired of staying up all night, eating alone when my husband went to bed. I was tired of spending money on expensive, organic, all-natural, raw, gluten-free foods with the intentions of making them last, only to have them disappear in one sitting. 
and I was tired of feeling a divided living, like I was living a divided life. I desperately wanted to take care of my body, but I could not stop abusing it with food. So what happened? I recalled my friend had mentioned OA to me. So I went online and I took the quiz and I scored very high on the quiz, which let me know that perhaps there was something at OA that would help me. I was certainly out of ideas at that time. And so on October 5th, 2013, I was 32 at the time, I hung my head in defeat and I walked into my first OA meeting. My first year in OA, I went to one meeting a week and did not make or receive any outreach calls in between the weekly meeting. I heard a lot of people talking about doing things with food that I thought only I did. I cried at almost every meeting. I cried out years of repressed tears. Uh, They were tears of relief that I wasn't alone in this disease and tears of anger and shame that I had a disease that I did not want to have. I was a little fuzzy about what the solution exactly was. I heard talk of the steps, but I had no idea how to actually work them. People talked about abstaining from sugar, but I don't remember hearing about the allergy of the body or the obsession of the mind to explain why I needed to abstain. I tried reading literature and answering a lot of questions from the literature to get relief and stay abstinent, but after a year, I was still binging on sugar when I absolutely did not want to be. I started thinking maybe this program can't work for someone in my stage of life with small children, but I desperately wanted to get better before I did any more harm, so I asked someone for help. Um, Several meetings in a row, there was only one person that said she was an available sponsor, so I knew that was who I needed to go to. She agreed to sponsor me and said she had recently started listening to a phone meeting and talk, that talked about the big book. She referred me to listen to this meeting, A Vision for You, and told me to listen daily. She said she had, she had just been taken through the steps in the big book and that she would take me through the same way. Uh, she had me make a list of my red, yellow, and green light foods and told me to abstain from all the red foods. And these were foods that when I ate them, I could not reasonably predict how much I would eat. And she told me to abstain from the yellow foods as well, which were foods I really wasn't sure about, but thought possibly they could be an issue. So once we started working the steps, abstinence came pretty easily at that time, and we worked the steps in two or three months. And by early 2015, I began to feel the promises coming true. But I had not made many outreach calls. I did not have a fellowship to depend on, and I still kind of wanted to do things my way. Of course, I welcomed help from God, and I was praying regularly. Of course, I said all the right things and even believed them myself most of the time. But deep down, I knew that I was hoping I would not have to do this thing for real or for the long haul. I was doing the occasional juice fast and not telling my sponsor about it. I told myself I'm doing it for religious purposes, so surely it was fine which reminds me of Jim on page 36, although I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart. In 2015, I became pregnant with my third child and decided to take a break from sponsoring. I had one sponsee who only called me when she wanted to, so it was a pretty easy decision to take that break. I wasn't continuing to work the steps as outlined in the big book myself, so I really didn't have anything to be offering her. I would try to do spotty 10th steps and not in the way the big book describes. Basically, I would just write out my frustrations and then pray for God to remove them. I was trying to live on abstinence and prayer. 
then I started adding some of the foods from my yellow list back in, justifying that I needed them because I was pregnant. Also in 2015, I had planned a family vacation to visit my cousin because I needed to make an amends to her. And the trip came and went, and I did not make the amends. I seemed okay for a few months. I thought perhaps I had been making too big of a deal out of, of this thing. Uh, I felt I was connecting with God and growing in my spiritual life. I was eating a healthy plant-based diet. It didn't include any sugar or flour. And wasn't that enough? That seemed like it should be enough. I had my third baby in February 2016. I was disconnected from my local meetings and not listening to vision very often. As I sat around for months nursing my baby and watching a lot of TV, I began eating more and more. I was beginning to sense that I was in a downward spiral. And by the summer of 2016, I was feeling very restless, irritable, and discontented on an almost daily basis. Fears were plaguing me, and I was seeking a numbing effect that I got from eating while I watched TV, eating what I considered abstinent foods at that time. I didn't like to be away from home for long, and when I would wake up in the morning, what I would look forward to is what would be on TV and what I was going to eat for that day. I went to a nutritionist and I had her test me for food sensitivities, hoping that if I could eliminate the right foods, things would change for me. I also went to a new therapist uh, who did not understand compulsive overeating and told me she thought I just needed more friends to talk to. I was trying whatever I could. It was like I was praying to God to save me from the horrible fears I was having. I would, um, these fears were terrible. I would have pictures running through my head um, of terrible things happening to my children or other children, or, or my family, people breaking into our home, stealing my children. Um, these were, pictures were so real, they paralyzed me at times. I had thoughts about not wanting to live in a world where those terrible things happen. Each time I prayed for help, God would always bring OA and the steps back to my mind. I was like a hopeless person stuck in a hole and I'm praying for help and God stuck a ladder down in the hole to help me out. And I was saying, no, thanks. Climbing those 12 steps isn't what I want to do. Can you just airlift me out of this hole? But one day I was listening to a special edition and someone was talking about how she was powerless because once she engaged in certain behaviors or ate certain foods, she couldn't stop, and even if she did stop for any period of time, she would have to go back to those foods and behaviors because the obsession of the mind was so overpowering. I just broke down when I heard her say it. Now, this was something I had heard many times before, but in that moment, I knew that I was absolutely powerless. I knew that I was a real compulsive overeater and that the only hope for me was to be entirely abstinent from all my binge foods, ingredients, and behaviors and work the steps fearlessly and thoroughly and without trying to cut corners or do things my way. Now, being in relapse at this point, I did not know the truth from the false. I didn't really admit to myself that I was in relapse because after all, I told myself I wasn't eating flour or sugar. So what I thought was, I just need to get back on track. Maybe I can do a few tenth steps. I tried to get abstinent and I could not get one day. I knew that I could not do this program alone I'd been trying that and it didn't work. So I called someone that I heard share regularly on this meeting. I could tell she was recovered and I wanted what she had. I explained where I was and she told me I needed to get a sponsor and work the steps from the beginning, which was not the news I had been hoping for. 
She texted me a list of her recovered sponsees so I could call and see if any of them were available. I sat on that list for a few days. One morning, listening to the meeting, I decided I was going to write down the names of the available sponsors and I was going to call them. I was going to get started. And I put a star next to one woman's name because something about the way she introduced herself. I just liked it. So I called her that day and she agreed to take me through the steps as outlined in the big book. When I looked back at the list that had been texted to me, her name was on that list as well. I knew God was guiding me and I was doing what he wanted me to do. I was doing just a little bit by listening to meetings and making calls and he was working with whatever I was willing to give him. I came down, it came down to the question on page 53. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? I believed in God at this point and it was time for me to let him change me instead of telling him, no, you can't. So what was it like to recover from relapse? Well, it was the longest nine weeks of my life. Abstinence was so much more painful coming out of relapse. I eliminated all the foods, ingredients, and behaviors that gave me the ease and comfort, the numbing feeling that I had been using to get through my days and nights, and I was like a raw nerve. I felt like a potato had all its skin rubbed off by a Brillo pad, just gaping open. Everything drove me crazy. I was very restless, irritable, and discontented. I had to bite my tongue with my husband and children, so I wouldn't snap at them constantly, and I wanted to pull my hair out. So how did I get through those feelings long enough to work the steps? I used the tools of OA to support me. I had a plan of eating that I committed to my sponsor daily. I wrote it and hung it on my kitchen cabinet. I listened to a lot of Vision for You meetings. I wanted to keep things simple and focus on one clear, consistent message of how to recover using the big book. So I listened to the Vision for You 7 a.m. meeting and the 8 a.m. meeting and the recorded special editions and recorded daily meetings all through the day. It was especially helpful at night because that's when the fears would plague me the most. So I had earbuds in a lot and I would often fall asleep listening. And by listening, it was being reinforced to me over and over what I needed to do in order to recover from what seemed to me to be a very hopeless condition, but I had just enough hope to keep going. I also reminded myself that this would hopefully be temporary, that I wasn't going to have to have my earbuds in every day, all day for the rest of my life, just enough to get me through. Outreach calls were especially difficult for me. I did not like talking on the phone. I wanted God to give me a strong desire to make these calls and then I would do them, but that is not how it worked. One helpful thing I did was to introduce myself as a newcomer at the end of the 7 a.m. meeting. I had never done that before, and I got a lot of outreach calls made to me. So I wrote all those names down, and I began calling them back. It gave me a list to work from. I had to make a lot of calls. I had to ask for help and support from recovered fellows, which was something um, I'm not comfortable with. But I made myself be honest and vulnerable on those calls. If I was struggling, I said so, and the recovered fellows I called were amazingly supportive. After making many, many, many calls, I began to have a desire to do so and to want to talk to people on the phone. I had to do it before the desire came. I was not a big fan of journaling at that time. I do journal some now, but then I didn't care for it. Um, but I really wanted to document the pain I was in. I knew that I would forget that the memories of the pain would fade and um, I wanted to be sure I could always remember. And, you know, since I had watched so much TV, so many reality shows, I decided I'll put some of what I learned there to good use. They always do video diaries, so that's what I did. 
I did video diaries to document the severe discomfort of being abstinent, the sheer exhaustion of being powerless and not yet having access to a power greater than myself. I kept reading the big book and some in the 12 and 12, AA 12 and 12. Again, I wanted to keep it simple. If I tried to overcomplicate the recovery process by reading too much literature, I would get lost. Now in recovery, I read, now in recovery, now that I'm in recovery, um, I should say, I read tons of literature. So this, again, was just a temporary thing. I limited myself to the big book and the 12 and 12. I had an action plan every day of what I was going to do when I started to feel restless, irritable discontent. How was I going to stick to my food plan when the obsession of the mind began to torment me and call me back to the ease and comfort? I wrote out my action plan items and had them posted in my kitchen. Some of those things were suggestions I got from recovered fellows in making those outreach calls. Things like take a walk, make a gratitude list, which always irked me because I certainly didn't feel like being grateful, but I did it anyway. I would write cards to other people, letting them know how much I loved them, how special they were. Um, I, I had to do something to get my thinking off of myself. I made calls. I allowed myself to cry or scream. I did yoga, exercise, take deep breaths, pray, listen to meetings. I did whatever I had to do in order to remain abstinent so I could work the steps quickly. And life did not stop or even slow down in order for me to work through the steps. Here are some of the things that were going on in my life while I was working the steps. And I mention these because it says on page 98, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. So I was working through these steps regardless of what, what was going on, regardless of anyone. So first of all, raising three little boys is no small task every day. And they did not care that mommy was trying to work the steps or that I was restless, irritable, and discontented. They had their needs, and they wanted me to fill them. Um, my oldest child started kindergarten shortly after I started my step work, which was a huge fear that I had. I cried for days and days and days over that. My six-month-old baby had surgery, and he was later hospitalized overnight for an illness. So I grabbed my food and my headphones, and I took them with me to the hospital. I listened to special edition meetings all night long in the hospital. Um, I also had my cousin come and visit and stay with us. This is the same cousin I had failed to make an amends to in 2015. So while she was staying with us, I just happened to be at step nine and make my amends to her while she was here. Now, she did not know I was in program and she didn't understand my food plan, but I couldn't let her staying with us or what she wanted or needed to do. I couldn't let that change what I needed to do. So working steps this time, I held nothing back. I had an amends that I had never mentioned to anyone before because I was terrified that I would actually have to make it. I wallowed around in step eight for a little while until I finally just wrote it out on the paper and discussed it with my sponsor. My ex-husband's mother felt I owed her $25,000. I didn't believe I owed her that amount of money or any money. But for some reason, God would not let me stop thinking about it. I knew that if I saw her on the street, I would not be able to look her in the eye so in discussing the possible amends with my sponsor, in praying, and in honestly reviewing um, the records I had, I came to see that I did owe her some money. And I discussed it with my sponsor. We agreed I would mail her, start mailing her payments. And when she cashed the first check, I felt so much peace and joy and unlike any freedom I had felt before. So the, some of the simple ways God disciplines me in recovery. The 10th step daily, I do it as it's described on page 84. 
I follow the simple directions. It's a practice of the skill set I learned in steps four through nine. Step 11, I start with the foundational suggestions on pages 86 to 88. I read those pages daily and do those prayers, morning, evening, and all throughout the day. Over time, I've added prayers, spiritual disciplines, and literature to improve my relationship with God, but I keep the foundation from the big book, and God leaves me breadcrumbs to follow for the new spiritual directions he wants me to go. And step 12, I try to carry this message and practice these principles in all my affairs. As soon as I got through the steps, my sponsor told me to get started with someone, and I didn't feel ready, but in my prayers about it, God reminded me that I could keep it simple. The big book has the instructions, and I'm simply a guide. I offer my experience and the instructions as they're outlined. I let go of needing to know the outcome when I work with someone. That's between them and God. I also wondered when I was going to sponsor and how many people I should sponsor. In meditation time, God told me to sponsor at 5.30 in the morning before my family gets up, and I was not thrilled with that because that would mean I would need to get up at 5 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. so I can pray and get myself right with God before I started sponsoring. And I said, God, are you kidding me? And he said, that's what you need to do. And so that's what I do. And whenever someone asks me to sponsor, I pray and I ask God how I can be helpful to them. Sometimes it's to work with them. Sometimes it's to ask them more questions or refer, or um, sometimes it's referring them to the meeting or sending them to a list of available sponsors. I know I must keep working with others. Last Thanksgiving, since Thanksgiving is coming, I was reminded of this. I was given a very grave reminder of the severity of this disease. My aunt gave me a cookie jar, and it had been my grandmother's. No one had opened it since she had passed away, and when I got home and looked inside, it was full of receipts for laxatives, and my grandmother had died from colon cancer. As a newly recovered person last Thanksgiving, that was a stark reminder of why I must continue to do the work of this program day by day. So what am I like now? What's it like to live in recovery? Well, I'm almost 37 years old now. I have finally have neutrality around food. I don't think about food or worry about food or obsess about it. When it's mealtime, I enjoy my food and then I go about my day. Food's not a source of entertainment. It's in its proper place as a source of nutrition and energy for my body, and I eat for optimal health. My weight is stable. Um, I only need one size of clothes in my closet. I pick what I want to wear each day, and I don't have to just pick whatever happens to fit based on what I ate yesterday. I'm learning what it feels like to be human. I didn't expect to rise above the level of human. I just honestly had no idea what it meant to be human I spent my life trying to control or avoid emotions. Um, I'll give you an example of what I mean. A couple months into my recovery, I went to a funeral for my husband's uncle, and I was really sad. Uh, I wasn't sure what to do about the sadness, so I called a recovered fellow and asked, what do you do when you're sad? And he said very kindly, he said, sometimes I just have to feel sad, and if it turns into fear, then I do a 10-step. And I I mean, I literally had to be told what it's like to be human, that emotions come and go, and their feelings, not facts. Um, so in recovery, I'm learning how to be a spiritually, physically, emotionally fit woman. I'm learning how to grow up in this program with God's guidance. With the obsession for food removed, along with uh, the buildup of resentments, fears, secrets, and harms done, I'm becoming the woman God truly created me to be. 
My defects of character are lessening over time, and that's in God's timing. I'm learning about my personality, strengths, passions, and limitations, and learning these things allows me to use them for my real purpose, which is summed up on page 77. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. In recovery, I'm able to be truly present with the people around me. Looking people in the eyes is so powerful, and I'm not sure I did it much before program. I can be present with people in pain, joy, grief, confusion, love, boredom, and in the everyday mundane. I don't tire as easily as I used to because I'm not burning up energy foolishly, as the book says. I used to go to bed so tired after a day of fighting with the food or of giving in to the food. And now at the end of the day, I go to bed tired and it's because I lived so much life all day. The calamity of my sometimes violent mood swings has been replaced with much more serenity. I find myself handling situations that used to baffle me like conflict or gossip or just my kids' bad attitudes. My thinking used to be limited to solutions I could come up with in my mind. Now I'm open to God's often unseen alternative solutions that exceed my human ideas. Uh, I pray the prayer of St. Francis that can be found in the AA 12 and 12 in the chapter on step 11, and I often feel that prayer coming true. I mentioned before about outreach calls and not liking to talk on the phone. Um, God has replaced that with a strong desire in me to make and take phone calls. That's from people in program and with people outside of program. I have amazing friends in this fellowship that I know God directed me to so we could walk together through this life, reminding each other of the work to be done. I knew early in recovery that I was going to need other recovered mothers to call and rely on for experience, strength, and hope. I started by calling one mama bear I heard sharing on the line, and now I'm part of a chat group with over 50 mothers working this program. I am now able to express my emotions much more freely than I have ever been able to in my life. When I love someone, I tell them. I find myself telling my family, friends, and fellows I love them on a regular basis, and I truly mean it. In recovery, balance is a day-by-day reevaluation and a letting go of my considerations for the day so God can guide me. Some days it's an outpouring of my time and attention all day, and other days it's a recharge day with fewer outreach and sponsoring calls, but they do still happen. I don't have any minimum requirements. I let God run the show because I did a terrible job when I tried to be in charge. The stress I used to feel over trying to control everything my kids would eat has been greatly reduced down to just a normal, to what my normal duties are as a parent instead of unreasonable expectations. I have found that I have a new appreciation and love for music, art, literature, poetry, nature, and other people and all of God's creation. And lastly, I want to mention the drastic changes in a couple of my key relationships. Coming into program, I had very deep resentments towards my mother and my father in particular. I blamed them for all of the troubles in my life. I had done a lot of harm in those relationships by my past behaviors and hurtful words. And there was a time when I could barely stand to be around either one of them. I would have to bite my tongue from saying critical things. If my mother cried, it made my skin crawl and I felt irritated. If my father started to tell one of his stories, I rolled my eyes and left the room. And today, I have 
wonderful relationships with both of them. My mother has confided in me a lot over this past year, and when she does, I feel compassion and love for her and her tears. And when my dad tells me one of his stories, I listen eagerly because one day I'll want to remember them all and repeat them to my children and my grandchildren, and I accept my parents fully as they are and love them as God created them. I feel it deep in my heart, and that's not a feeling I could manufacture on my own. God changed that deep within me because I worked the steps as outlined in the big book. I thank God for AA and OA and for a vision for you, and I'll end with that. Thank you so much, Allison, for your beautiful, crystal clear message of hope and possibility as a result of this 12-step process that we are privileged to have. Thank you. Another remarkable story of transformation. Thank you very much. The share ID number for this morning's special edition, 10661. That's 10,661. Allison's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute, identifying yourself by first name and first initial of your last name. Mary Lee and Eugene, Oregon. I have a question. Mary Lee R., is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, hi, Mary Lee. Who else? Kathy A. from Jerusalem. Did I hear Kathy K? Yes. Okay, and then who is in Jerusalem? Kathy K. Not in Jerusalem, though. Yes, okay. I thought I heard someone. Okay, anyone else? Yeah. Nancy O. Sorry. Nancy O. from Dayton, Ohio. Nancy O. All right. Anyone else? Gina R. Gina R. Excellent. Let's start with that group. Mary Lee R. Go ahead. Oh, good morning. Wow. What a story and transformation. Thank you. I My question was, did you ever end up with a nutritionist that was familiar with the program and how did um how did that affect you and how did that change? Ah, uh, hi Mary Lee R. Thank you for that question. Yes, I did end up um locating a nutritionist who was actually familiar with compulsive overeating and what it meant to abstain. And um, that was a a pretty big step for me to turn over my food to someone. I was actually um, very close to recovery by the time I um, started working with her. And I I gave her my food plan and I said, I don't want to be coming up with my own food plan anymore. So here's what I'm eating. Please tell me if I'm on the right track, make changes. Um, I don't want to have to count calories, so just tell me what I should be eating and that's what I'll eat. And so that's what she did, and it was very, very freeing to have that come from someone who understood um, this disease, and that's what I eat now. And I think that was um, your question, so thank you. Thanks, Mary Lee. Kathy Kay, your turn. 
Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Allison. What a great um, share. Uh, I appreciate it a lot. Um, I'm wondering if you could elaborate on how your relationship with God um, improved uh, when you uh, went through the steps again. What was different about what you did or what you experienced? That would be really helpful. Thank you. Mm, thank you for that question, Kathy. So how my relationship changed after working the steps thoroughly and honestly um, was that, I, okay, this is an example I use sometimes. Um, I felt like before working through the steps, I had kind of like a connection with God, but it was kind of like a dryer and it was clogged up with a bunch of lint. And so I would get occasional messages, but I often wasn't feeling or able to connect um, as I wanted to. Um, I sometimes couldn't hear or feel God at all. And so in, in working the steps, um, I feel it just removed those blockages and gives me um, the skill set to keep removing those blockages as they continue to come up. And so there's a much more open communication between myself and God and um I've I've had a spiritual awakening um that continues to grow. Thank you. Thanks Kathy K. Nancy O, your turn. Did you call Nancy by chance? I did. I did. Oh, your sorry. turn. I was unmuting. Mm-hmm. Nancy O from Dayton, Ohio. I'm so blessed to be here today, Allison. Good morning. And my question is, and you touched on it a little, but I often get calls from young moms trying to fit in recovery, and I just babysat little grandkids. How do you fit in recovery with your husband and your family? Thank you, Allison. Oh, hi, Nancy. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you for the question. (laughs) That is an excellent question. And um, I touched on it a little bit. Um, it's it's about it's about balance. Um, you know, when I was working through the steps, I needed to do so quickly, and I needed to um, I kind of just had to do the basics around the house um, and with my kids. You know, I was there for them as much as I could be while I was working through the steps, but that was a limited you know time. It, like I said, it took about nine weeks, so that's when I had my earbuds in a lot. Um, I wasn't maybe giving my kids as much attention during that time, but it was um, so that I could recover and be the mother that they they truly deserve to have. And then now in recovery, um, I, I let God show me that balance, and it's a day-by-day activity. Um, this past week, I had some days where um, my middle child, I, I just could sense that he really needed all of my attention. And so I made fewer calls. I still worked with my sponsees and did some calls, um, but there were fewer calls on those days. And I just focused all my attention on him. And then there are other days when my, my kids don't seem to need me as much and they'll be outside playing or my, you know, littlest one who's almost two now, he'll take a long nap and I, I, you know, do more calls, um, and, on those days. So really, I just, I let God guide that balance. Thank you, Nancy, for the question. Gina R., your turn. 
sorry. I thought I was after somebody else. This is Gina R., gratefully recovered from seemingly healthy state of mind and body in Arizona. Allison, your um, share was um, unexpectedly poignant for me um, around the, a couple of topics, and I just really wanted to express my gratitude for your sharing about how this process allowed you to be um, open and receptive to the stories from your dad, and then also um, the situation with your grandmother in a cookie jar. And it 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 brought an awareness to me that um, I hadn't really considered before. And I remember my grandmother also using laxatives, and they stopped working for her at the very end. And I'm just wondering, hmm, did you ever know any more about your your grandmother's use of those, and do you think she was afflicted with this? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Gina, for your question. Um, you know, it was it was known within my family that my grandmother used laxatives, and it was always just, well, that's what women in her um, in her time, that's what they did. That's just you know normal. Um, so yeah, we all we all knew that she used laxatives and. Um, and when she got colon cancer, um, it occurred to me at that time, um, before program, you know, that it was likely tied to, you know, her use of laxatives. And um, I've asked my mother, um, you know, her thoughts on it, and she doesn't make the connection really. Um, so, you know, as whether as to whether or not my grandmother had this um, illness, I, I don't know. I'd say it's 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 likely. I'll pass. Thanks, Gina. Who else has a question this morning for Allison? Star one to unmute. Can you repeat your name, please? Gen Z. Madam. Madam. Debbie M. Debbie M. All right, I've got Gen Z, Betsy K, Matt M, Debbie M. So let's start with Gen Z, please. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks, Allison, for your share today. Um, I'd like to know, um, I think I'm in a very precarious situation. I've been flirting with food uh, shortly after my fourth step, and um, I'm trying to figure out if I have relapsed or if I'm clearly on my way to relapse. And I wanted to know if you have some um, insight because I really would I would really not rather start from the beginning with the 12 steps I'm at 12 not uh, step 9 right now um, but if I guess if, if I am in relapse I will have to um, go ahead and do that and I just wanted to get your thoughts on that thank you mm, thanks Jen yeah that's a very very great question and I'll speak from my experience um, I was not able to work the steps in an effective, efficient way that would bring about a spiritual awakening and um, bring about recovery if if I was using food in any way, shape, or form instead of relying on God alone. And so for me, the food had to be completely down so that the steps would work in the way they're supposed to work. 
and I oftentimes will um, ask myself uh, this question or, or ask it this way in, with uh, sponsees. If you were an alcoholic and you were playing around with alcohol, um, what would your sponsor say to you? Would your sponsor say, it's okay, let's just keep going? Or would your sponsor say, whoa, 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 we got we to gotta put all the alcohol down? And so that's the way that I, I think about it to keep it simple. I hope that helps, Jen. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Betsy Kay. Hi. Thank you so much for your share. Um, it's funny. I sometimes feel nervous talking on the line, but I just feel like your story was mine the same. Um, I'm curious about when you talked about your intuition to follow a plant-based diet, because often I will feel an intuition to eat a certain way, but I don't know if it's my disease talking or um, my intuition. And it's probably one of the hardest parts of my program right now is trying to really hear the clear answers. And I, I know that a lot of that comes with patients. Um, but I'm just curious about your uh, experience of going through that. Thank And thank you so much for your share. Oh, thank you for your question, Betsy. Um, so when I had that intuition, it was before program. And so I knew that it was what I needed to do because um, it was unlike anything that I had ever felt about any other diet or, you know, let, let me try this and see if it works because it was just um, like I, I had a revulsion suddenly towards the certain foods. Um, and so that is how I knew. Um, so I guess with regards to um, working through the steps and knowing what, what I should or shouldn't eat, um, you know, I think getting entirely abstinent is, is key and then working through the steps and then in recovery, um, you know, God can guide you if there are changes you should, you know, make to your food plan um, to go towards optimal health. Then I believe God would show that to you once you're, you know, in recovery and in his time. So I hope that helps, Betsy. Have a good day. Hi, I'd like to ask a question. This is Jess. One moment, please. Let me just get the other folks, and then we'll add you on. Okay, Matt M. Yes, yeah, sure. Matt M., please. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Good morning, Kelson. Thank you very much for your share. I want to ask you, so what do you do during the day to keep yourself centered with your higher power? How do you, if you're having a bad day, how do you get yourself back on track as far as your 11 steps concerned? Hi, Matt. Good to hear you. Thank you for the question. So um, I, as far as getting connected to God throughout the day, uh, a big one for me is, um, you know, I, I do what it says in the, in the big book. And so as I go through the day, I pause, especially when agitated or doubtful, and I ask for the right thought or action. I try to focus um, all day. I pause and focus on bringing God into whatever I'm doing, letting him just be present in whatever it is. And for me, you know, that could be um, running errands, that could be um, laundry, dishes, diapers. I mean, just whatever I'm doing, I just bring God with me. And especially when I'm agitated or I don't know, you know, I'm feeling irritable, um, you know, I pause. And then as soon as I have a, a moment where I can think a little clearer um, through it, I will 
um, sometimes hide in my closet, whatever I have to do so I can think and ask myself, am I uh, resentful? Um, am I feeling selfish? Do I have a fear? And if the answer to any of those is yes, then I do a 10th step and I, again, do exactly what it says in the book. If I have, if I'm feeling that it's one of those things, I identify that. I ask God to remove it, um, make amends if I need to, and then I call a fellow from program, a recovered fellow. Um, I do, you know, let them know about it. Um, and then I turn my attention to someone I can be helpful to um, if, it, if it's a 10th step. Um, so that's what I do. I hope that helps. Thanks, Matt. Debbie M. Star one to unmute. Debbie M. Hi, this is Debbie M., a recovered compulsive overeater in Indiana. Thank you so much for your share. I really appreciate hearing your story of coming out of relapse. I also recently came out of relapse. Um, I was very surprised to hear, and I'm trying to think of what my question is, um, that you thought that nine weeks was um, quick, working the steps quickly. Um, I'm not sure I could have lasted that long. So I guess my question is, um, do you think that working the steps quickly is just um, a matter between you, your sponsor, and God, and the pace that you are willing to work that at? because as I am guiding other people now, I want to, um, you know, I, I try not to push them, but I also try to get them through the steps a little more quickly than that. So I guess just responding to, do you still think that that is quickly? Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question, Debbie. And um, I do believe that it's, you know, it's between um, the sponsor, the sponsee, and, and God's timing. Um it um, was just how long it took for me and what my availability and my sponsor's availability was at that time. And now I have sponsees that go through um, quicker than that. I have some that take longer than that. Um, it it really just depends. I try to get them through as quickly as they are willing to work. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Thanks. Very much, though. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Jess, you wanted to ask a question? Star one. Yes, hi, this is Jess. This is my question. Um, Anyhow, are you still on a plant-based vegan diet? Uh, Yes, I am. Oh. Oh, okay, great. And I am as well. And um, are you still doing a uh, raw food diet? Um, I do not do raw, no. And if you have more questions about specifics of food plan, you can call me after. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Great. Who else has a question for Alice? in Minnesota. Oh, sorry. Christy in Minnesota. (laughs) Got to to live. (laughs) Anyone else? June S. Simone J. Roz R. Okay, who did I miss after Liz T. and prior to June S.? Laura T. Laura T. Okay, I have Diane B. 
and B. Okay, this is the group I have. I have Liz T, Laura T, June S, Simone J, Roz R, Diane B. Let's go with that group. Liz, this is your chance. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Leah. Thanks so much, Allison, fellow mama bear. Um, this is Liz T in Minnesota Recover Compulsive Overeater. And my question is uh, around 10 steps. Um, when you find throughout the day that you need to do a 10 step and your surroundings are a little hectic with children and whatnot, do you find, and also for taking 10 steps sometimes, um, do you find that it, that it has been helpful to find acceptance around um, your circumstances, that it isn't always going to be a quiet background? And, um, or have you found um, ways to take and make 10 steps where the background can be quiet? Is that just going to a closet until they find you or any specific things that have helped you in, in, in the timing of those? Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. I love this question. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, I accept my surroundings, and it depends on who I'm. Sometimes it depends on who I'm making or taking the ten steps with. If I have another mother in program that I'm, you know, calling to do a ten step, um, you know, they they are okay typically that. Um, as I'm explaining to them the 10th step, which, first of all, these are short calls. They're, you know, five, 10 minutes, um, if that, if 10 minutes, you know, they're between five and 10 minutes to do these calls. So they understand that if they hear a child in the background, that it's okay. Um, as far as when I'm taking someone's 10th step, I do try to be um, respectful and try to make sure that it's quiet but I can always mute so they can't hear what's going on because I'm listening. And then if I do have feedback, I will quickly go somewhere quiet, give them the feedback. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. It depends, um, you know, if it's another mother um, or if, you know, it's somebody that may not, uh, maybe I don't do them with as regularly. I don't know if they'll be okay with kids. You know, I'll either go somewhere quiet or, you know, I just may not be able to do it at that time with them. So. I hope that answers your question. It was a good question. Thanks, Allison. Thank you, Liz. Laura T. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Allison. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I was curious about, um, you said you had a sponsee, and I think you said that, you know, either you got into relapse, you kind of had to let her go, but she was just um, calling you and she wanted to anyways. And uh, without going into too much detail, um, my sponsor, if I'm returning from a convention, told me she relapsed. She did a few weeks, and we had a conversation, and she just hadn't called me since. And I, my recovery was really good. So then, since then, I just haven't, I've just kind of been waiting and praying. And I, I had a fellow call me, so I've been calling back to the meetings. But my point is that I don't have a sponsor. Um, I obviously am not sponsoring, and I don't really know how to clear that up. Should I look for I know I should pray, and I am. This is my first step. Um, I don't, I'm not quite clear if finding a new sponsor is the right thing to do at this point. And even so, like you sound so solid, but now I'm a little nervous about, like, if a sponsor sounds really solid, and I get to that point when we're finished, and now they have their own stuff, and now I'm kind of out here in the wilderness. Um, and that is a long question. 
and I appreciate your tolerance and any um, feedback that you may have for me. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the question, Laura. I have a question for you. Did you say that you've worked completely through the steps and in, in your in recovery, or you're, you were in the middle of working the steps when this happened with your sponsor? Can you clarify no, that for me? I, I was. I, I'm sorry. Yes, I was finished, and I had gone on to just um, doing maintenance stuff. Okay, and and but you're not sponsoring. How long has this been? Um, well, I guess we're going on about eight weeks since I've heard from her, and then it took us probably about eight weeks to get through the steps. Maybe eight or nine weeks. Okay. Um, if if you're not feeling solid in your recovery, then I I suggest you know it's your recovery, and ultimately you can't rely on your sponsor or any other human person. So I would you know get really quiet and ask God, you know what what do you need to do if you're if you're not sponsoring yourself and you're not carrying um, out with step 12, then you know in my experience that could lead to relapse. So I would suggest that you um, find yourself a sponsor. Um, explain, you know, where you're at and see um, what what is suggested there with that person. I hope that All helps. right. It, it did. Thank you so much. Just, just sharing it and hearing some response really helped. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. June S. Yes, good morning. Thank you, Allison, for your beautiful rendition this morning. It was so helpful on so many levels. My question is this, and I'll begin in this way. You talked about um, your description of how you always previously complicated things. And I realized really more than I ever did this morning how I do that, I, I that uh, simplifying my life has to be a vital work. How have you continued as a recovered member uh, to continue to be uncomplicated and live a simpler life? So that, that's my question. Thanks, Allison. Oh, thank you, June S. Yeah, I just um, continue to <clears throat> continue to remind myself um, that it, it can be simple, and I, I check in with, with God regularly on, you know, how he would guide me in certain things. And so, you know, that's led me to get rid of a lot of, you know, clutter around my house and simplify in that way. Um, and I continue to make sure I keep working with sponsees um, simple and focusing, you know, just on my experience and the big book and not overcomplicating it for them or the work I need to do for myself. I try to keep it um, simple as well as I go along. And so, yeah, I just, you know, try to carry that into all aspects of my life. Thanks for the question. Pass. Thank you, Allison. You hit exactly on, on the areas that I really need to work on. And thank you so much. And yeah, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, June. Simone J. Star one time music. Simone J. All right. 
Cliff. She had Sorry. There you are. Hi, sorry. I, I had trouble unmuting. I thought I was unmuted, but I wasn't. We understand. Go um, right ahead. <laughs> thank you so much um, for what you said. I, I really identified with so many of the things that you said. Um, I, too, um, have young, very young children, and, and um, I have struggled. Uh, I, I've just recently realized that I've been setting myself up for failure because I was struggling to find sponsors who could speak to me at times that were um, where I could be, you know, have some quiet. Um, but I was just accepting it because I needed a sponsor and, and I was just failing. And um, <clears throat> I recently did find somebody, but um, she can't speak every single day. Um, and I do think that perhaps I need every single day. And I wanted to know if you think that, um, I mean, or if you speak to your sponsor every single day and if you think that that's a valid um, situation to, you know, um, have a sponsor to speak with at a time that, um, you know, is, is practical um, with the kids. Oh, thanks for the question. appreciate that. Um, I can. I will just speak from my experience. I know people have all different experiences with how they um, speak with their sponsor and how often. As I was working through the steps, I spoke to my sponsor two days a week for 30 minutes at a time. So that means between the times I would talk with her, I needed to make a lot of outreach calls to other recovered fellows to support me as I was going through the steps because I was not talking to my sponsor on a daily basis to get through the steps. Um, I, she made it clear that she did not want me to be dependent upon her um, and that I needed to, we were going through these steps so that I could be dependent upon God. Um, so um, that is my experience um, as far as a time. I mean, yeah, you need to have a time you can talk to your sponsor where you can uh, focus on the work that needs to be done in that time. So I do think it's important that it be when you can not be, you know, having your kids around you running around. So I hope that helps. And thanks for the question. I pass. Thanks, Simone. Roz R., your turn. Can I be heard? You can. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, Allison. <laughs> um, this is Roz R. from Florida, recovered. And um, your share today was just awesome. I'm so glad to share the journey with you. Um, I also share that plant-based uh, way of eating, too. So I, I, I love that, um, that, that we do that together. But I wanted to ask you, and I know we've talked about this before, I would like to know um, how you continue to get more involved in hearing God um, versus your own voice. I can't always tell the difference between what God's trying to tell me and, and my own inner voice. Like what are the things you do or that you could recommend conti to continue to um, hear God? Because there's, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I seem, even when I meditate or when I'm quiet, my, my mind is just always racing. It's just always got so many thoughts going on. And a lot of times um, I can't tell the difference. I can't tell where God's speaking to me or it's my own inner voice. So, uh, if you have any suggestions on how to calm that down or how to get more involved or evolved in hearing God's wisdom, I would love to hear that from you. And thanks again, Allison, for your share. Hi, Roz. It's so good to hear your voice this morning. Thank you for the question. It's a great question. And um, uh, as I shared, um, as far as 
my step 11, I start with the instructions from the big book. And then over time, that's, you know, evolved into other spiritual practices, more meditation, which is quiet time. Um, you know, if you call me after, I'll be happy to share what the particulars are of, of that. Um, okay. And if, if I'm ever not sure if, if there's a decision or uh, an intuition that I'm, I'm not exactly sure, you know, I ask for God to help me make a decision, give me an intuition, and then I just kind of rest and I don't try thinking it through and I wait for God to reveal it to me in his time and without rushing it. And um, if I'm not sure, you know, I have recovered fellows that I can, um, you know, I'm reliant upon God. But if, if I'm really not sure that I'm hearing clearly, I, I will talk to, you know, recovered fellows, ask them for their experience and see if God, you know, speaks to me through them. Um, uh, read, reading literature, uh, spiritual literature, you know, God speaks to me through spiritual literature as well. So, and there are some other, you know, specific things that aren't related to program that I can discuss with you off the line as well. Okay. That sounds great. Thanks, Allison. Thanks, Roz. Thank you, Roz. Diane B. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, This is my seventh day, sixth day. I came one day to a vision for you for the first time, and I'm so sorry. I clocked in at 9.27. I overslept. But what little I've heard so far, I'm loving it so much because I do have a very, very strong connection with God, uh, with God, and I've always, I give it a lot of thought, like, why do I have this connection with God? It's so wonderful. Uh, Maybe I'm not such a bad person as the people raising me tried to convince me that I was evil, but I have this uh, connection with God. My part is to uh, make sure I don't give people my power. I used to hear Oprah say how she would give people her power. She would listen to people. God would speak to her, but then she would listen to people and think, oh, oh, okay, they know better than me. And I think that's my work right now is to... Diane, good morning to you. Um, Uh This is a time for a question for our speaker. No problem. Could you please pose a question if you'd like to do so? Okay. I just want to make sure I get uh, the speaker's number. uh, Okay. Okay. That'll be given. Yes. That'll be given at the conclusion of the recording. So stay. What's her name? What's her name? And this is Allison L. from Ohio. Okay? Ten minutes or so. Thank you, Diane. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Who else has a question? God bless you. Who else has a question this morning for Allison? This is Mary S. Mary S. Anyone else? Mara Z. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation for questions. Linda D. Linda D. All right. All minds are cleared. Mary S., go right ahead with your question, please. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for your share. I related a lot. 
Um, I've been married for 16 years, and my husband has seen me uh, in relapse and up 40 and down 40 and up 40 and down 40 and and um, then abstinent for seven years, and then I lost my abstinence for two, and I'm just I've got like um, between 45 and 60 days of abstinence again. I've been listening to that vision for you meeting for a month or more than that, I guess 45 days. And so my question to you, too, is because my husband has seen me through a lot. And, um, you know, we as food addicts, we change the rules every other day in our relapses and even in our recoveries. Could you just um, share a little bit about how your husband weathered the storm and and, you know, these poor guys don't have Oanon to go to um, or w- wives. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, how'd your husband weather the storm? And, and um, that's it. Thank you. Mm, thanks, Mary. That's an excellent question. Um, yeah, there were definitely difficult times in our marriage due to um, my emotional nature and my compulsive overeating and all the ways that I acted out. Um, I don't know how he weathered it. You know, that was um, just, he just did. Um, I will say that now what I focus on is my making of amends to him. Um, I've done conversations with him to make direct amends and I make living amends. And the greatest amends I can, I can do for him is to live in recovery so that he no longer has to live with the wife that he lived with for those years before I was in recovery. So, um, yeah, part of my recovery, um, part of my amends to him day by day is just to live in recovery so that he um, doesn't have to weather my storms anymore. I hope that helps, Mary. I pass. I appreciate that. And my husband watches me walk around with earbuds a lot these days. And I think he's always maybe in the fear that I might do it again, but yes, these living amends that we do on a daily basis, that helps a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Mary S. Mara Z, your turn. Good morning, Allison. Thank you for thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. I appreciate that greatly. Um, I had a question about sponsoring. Um, we know there are methods, you know, how to how to employ the twelve steps in the big book, you know, as varied as there are numbers. I I've been going back and forth in my head as to the efficacy of a particular method and I was just wondering, <clears throat> do you when you're working with a sponsee, do you have that sponsee um read ahead in the book? And then uh, come back, and then you two reread the same section together. That's my question. Okay, thanks for the question, Maura. So, um, what I have to offer to people is how it was done with me, because that's what worked. That's my experience. And so, what um, my sponsor and I did was we read the book together, word for word. And so, that's what I do with my sponsees. I don't, you know, ask them to read ahead. Um, I will sometimes ask them to listen to a special edition, um, you know, but um, if they if they choose to read ahead, that's, you know, them doing it on their own. I don't require it. We just read the book together and discuss it um, because that's what worked 
for me. Hope that helps. May I ask a quick follow-on then? How often do you work with your sponsees? I let God tell me. Um, there, it just really depends. When somebody comes to me, I get quiet with God and um, ask if I can be helpful. If if God feels I can be helpful to them, to let me know and to show me days and times to offer to them. And um, you know, occasionally I have someone who's extremely eager and wants to work through quickly. And so I, you know, I'll get quiet and see what God instructs me. And you know, God comes up with creative days and times sometimes that I would never have thought of. So. It really varies from sponsee to sponsee. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Thanks, Maura. Our final question for this morning comes from Linda D. Hi, this is Linda D. Am I being heard? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Allison, for the wonderful presentation. And um, very grateful I'm recovered in uh, North Carolina. You, you really were able to describe so nicely the anatomy of relapse, you know, and, um, and, and, and what your struggles were in coming back. And it got me thinking about how it feels. You know, we all have days, whether we're in recovery or not, but even those of us in recovery where we feel, we feel that edge. Um, I, the question I have is this, when you get the inkling that something's not right. You know, if you're just thinking about food or thinking about a way, you know, to having a food thought or whatever it is that tells you something's not right. What is your go-to for that? Um, You know, there are obvious answers, the 11-step process and so on. But um, I think some of us may feel at times in recovery that something's just off. And um, what's your first go-to thing when you're feeling that way. Mm. Okay. Thank you for that question. So it does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Okay. Yeah. So what, what typically happens for me is I won't get, um, I don't necessarily get food, food thoughts. Um, what I get, um, how it, I guess, plays out for me is I'll feel hungry at times that I know I'm not, I'm not really hungry. And so, um, you know, I eat around the same times every day. And so if I'm hungry at an unusual time, um, I know that possibly um, there's uh, a resentment or a fear brewing, or maybe there's an emotion that I'm just not, um, I'm not stopping to allow myself to feel. I'm trying to suppress something. Um, So that's how it plays out for me if I start to feel hungry at an unusual time. Um, I I have to pause and I have to ask God, you know, to show me what's going on and and think through, am I resentful? Has something happened? Have I missed something? Um, Do I just need to feel something? Do I just need to sit with, um, you know, a a situation until – it comes to me that, you know, what, what exactly is going on if it's a resentment, fear, dishonesty, selfishness, um, or, or just a a normal emotion that I, I need to feel through. So, um, yeah, I pause and pray. I hope that, uh, it's very simple, but that's the truth. So hope that helps. Thank you. It did. Thanks, Linda D. Thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Allison L., for spending time with us this morning and giving so much of yourself by hearing the message of recovery.
Thank you. Let's close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.